This is the Why the Last Man podcast on TV Podcast Industries. This time we're talking about Why the Last Man, episode seven. My mother saw a monkey. A quick correction up front. I noticed throughout this episode that we were calling uh, the former First Lady Norma instead of Marla Cunningham. And considering how wonderful the performance of Paris Jefferson is in this episode, uh, We've said her name wrong multiple times throughout the episode. Really sorry about that. Uh, that doesn't normally happen, but uh, just so you know, we are aware that we got her name wrong throughout the episode. Uh, anyway, on with the podcast. They asked if we were followed. Uh, they wanted to know who you guys were. They wanted to know about AMP. They gave me toast. How many are there? A lot. Dozens, I don't know, 50, maybe more. Why'd they bring you here? Uh, they were having a meeting, I think, like a... What do we do about them meeting? Some of them are serving life sentences, so if they think we're a threat... What? You trailed off. They're gonna kill us. That's what she's saying. They are going to kill us. No, I, uh... I don't know. I don't think so. No. Well, at least one of us will die ignorant. Welcome back, fellow survivors, to the seventh episode of Why the Last Man. We're talking about My Mother Saw a Monkey this week's episode. I'm one of your hosts, Derek. Hello there, fellow survivors. I'm one of your other hosts, John. I'm rounding out this group of Dublin Tondras. I am Chris. So it, it really does sound like the name of a porn film, doesn't it? My a Mother really Saw a one. Monkey. <laughs> a really bad one. It's mean. like, yeah, the pizza man came and my mother saw a monkey, the double feature. <laughs> they are terrible, Chris. You need to watch better porn. <laughs> yes, yeah, true. It's true. I, I'm only there for the storylines, you know, those B movies. <laughs> of course, of course. Welcome back, fellow survivors. The seventh episode of Why the Last Man. I, should I speak for all of us, or should I just let you guys say whether you like the episode or not? Um, I'll loved, speak for all of us. I loved this episode. I know, I know that for definite. How do you guys feel about it overall? Yeah, I really, really loved this episode. Mm-hmm. It's my favorite to date. Right. Um, you know, I, I think. It was just spectacular. There were some performances in this that, gosh, I felt um, so sorry for them. It just mm-hmm. the way uh, Norma was portrayed was uh, amazing. Absolutely. How about yourself, Chris? Uh, surprisingly, this is my favorite episode of the season. Um, and I, I say that knowing what we have had so far mm-hmm. um, from action senses or kind of storylines, this is just full of amazing performances um Mm -hmm. particularly some of the 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 355 scenes um and just even yark himself um but yeah overall just absolutely adored yeah yeah excellent episode excellent episode left a bit reeling by the end of this one um with everything that went on and we will talk about it in full spoiler filled detail uh, but if you aren't following the podcast make sure you subscribe to it over at tvpodcastindustries.com where you can s- subscribe to us on any podcast player you want to uh, you can also send us feedback on the series or any of the shows that we cover to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com but there's loads to discuss let's get into the episode uh, once again this show was based on the comic book series by brian k vaughn and pia guerra um 
The showrunner for the show is Eliza Clark. This episode, again, was written by Olivia Purnell, who's written a number of episodes this season, and directed by Lauren Wokstein. Uh, Lauren Wokstein directed an episode of Cloak and Dagger in the past, uh, so she's worked in the Marvel Universe. Great stuff. Mm. Love that series. Mm-hmm. It was really good, wasn't yeah. it? Uh, and she also worked very closely on the series uh, Queen Sugar uh, from Ava DuVernay as well. So uh, lots of good uh, good TV shows that uh, Lauren Wokstein has worked on in the past. And as I say... I think you guys have already said the fa- your favorite episode of this season. Great work on this episode. Some fantastic moments that I'm sure we'll point out as we go on throughout the episode. Definitely. Um, this, this really did have solid performances, uh, all the way through. Just loved, um, literally every scene. Mm-hmm. It, it was just so well layered. Um, and some great shots again, yeah. um, from, uh, the director here, Lauren uh, Wokstein, uh, really enjoyed uh, one of them. Uh, I thought it was pretty iconic, to be honest. Mm-hmm. We obviously will be talking about that later on. John, do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis for the episode? Sure. As Dr. Allison Mann, Yorick, Ampersand and 355 make their way to San Francisco, Yorick ties himself in knots trying to show off his escapology abilities to Dr. Mann. But 355 falls asleep at the wheel and crashes the camper van into a tree. They are rescued by an armed group from a local town who lock up 355 and Dr. Man, thinking Yorick was their captive. Yorick wakes up and over breakfast reveals that his companions were not kidnappers and that he has no explanation for his survival, but that he and Ampersand are the last creatures with the Y chromosome on the planet. The town residents are unimpressed, but let them stay until 355 heals. As they learn the citizens were formerly inhabitants of a women's prison, some of the residents have concerns that whoever is chasing Yorick will disrupt their new community. Meanwhile, at the Pentagon, the pursuers reveal to Regina Oliver and President Brown that she's convinced 355 was with a man and a monkey. Regina shares the ridiculous story with Kimberly and the First Lady, the First Lady Norma quickly realises that she saw the very same man and his monkey and was made to think it was a dream. Jennifer Brown, ruffled with the debris from Regina and the soldiers, becomes distracted as she has an unexpected visitor when Yorick's ex-girlfriend Beth turns up at the Pentagon. After some food, a shower and a peek inside the newly established government, Beth leaves, being grateful to have spent some time with someone else who loved Yorick. But after leaving the Pentagon, she returns to a van and reveals that it won't take much of a push for the collapse of the government. With the knowledge of Yorick and his monkey, Kimberly is enraged and hell-bent to bring down Jennifer Brown's administration. But she needs proof, and in God's name she will do all she can to get her hands on Yorick and reignite the human race. But with her daughter distracted and feelings of powerlessness and isolation, Norma begins to crumble. In her engulfing sadness, she commits suicide that will cause repercussions throughout the Pentagon and for Jennifer Brown's presidency. And as you mentioned, an amazing performance uh, from Paris Jefferson, who plays Norma in this episode, and that those final scenes, uh, just amazing um, ending to the episode. Um, will we get into and talk about our top moments so that we can kind of get through uh, everything that's happened in this episode? It's quite a lot, really. Chris, do you want to go first with your uh, first point, your top moment from the episode? Sure, let's talk about Prison Break. No, 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 not the original award-winning TV show. Let's talk about the Prison Break in this mm-hmm. show. <laughs> um, yeah, this this was, this is, well, spoilers. This is ripped, a storyline ripped straight from the comics. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and it was one that I did not think they'd do this early. Right. Um, I, I don't know why. I assumed it might be a season two plotline. Um, but they have done it. They have gone there. And it, it, it was, it's an interesting, it is always an interesting take. Like, what would happen to the incarcerated during an apocalypse? Um, and it's something that you have to start to wonder about. Um, and this is always fun. Like, it is, well, okay, before we, let's talk about the, the, how they get there. The, the fantastic scene on, in the, in the camper van and just the, the 355's continued arrogance. Okay. It's a weird word, Chris. <laughs> it is, well, it is like she knows she's pushing herself to beyond her limits. Mm-hmm. And yet, rather than ask for aid or help from her fellow survivors, her her compatriots, her companions, her her traveling, I was going to say, where is a quartet? It is. Yeah. Um, when you take in ampersand, mm-hmm. um, she she's borrowing it. Everything has her own. She must do it by herself. And yeah. we do get a bit of redemption towards the end of this. But I talked about this last episode. They mm-hmm. are trying to somewhat flip the script. That is, you feel sorry for Yarick now, and you're you question three fifty five a lot more. And right. this this kind of begins to highlight that in that it's again. I'll use the word arrogance. There probably is a better term for it, mm. but it's her arrogance here that essentially causes a car accident that leads to them being captured. Yeah, it's, it's part of that. I probably wouldn't use the term arrogance for it. I think we talked about it at the end of the last episode, how hurt she is by the two people that she's putting her life on the line for. So she's not willing to trust them. Uh, you see it throughout this episode that she's not willing to trust either Dr. Mann or, or Yark, even when she's had a rest. Um, she's not willing to trust anything that they're doing. Um, and I think that's where we kind of catch up with her here. They're uh, trying to kind of make friends with her again, but effectively it's like, no, no, you go sit in the back of the camper van I'm driving. Um, don't even want to talk to you after everything that happened last week, effectively. Uh, yeah. Don't want to be involved with you. So um, remember, again, she is also a... Uh, a special agent who was put into the field on her own sometimes for very long periods of time, as we heard uh, in the opening episode, as we got our introduction to 355. She has absolutely done everything on her own in the past and been um, slotted in undercover uh, within certain environments that she's able to get herself out of. So maybe, maybe that is arrogance or just confidence in her abilities that she yeah. should be able to get through this. But we're talking, I think we're around day 72 or 73 now. Um, since everything went down and it feels like they haven't slept and haven't done any kind of rest periods at all. So of course that would be, that would be also playing on her. That's true. That, okay. That is true. Um, but it does lead to this fantastic, um, scene. Um, mm-hmm. and okay, we, we won't talk about her scene. We can get where we could talk, touch on that in a second. But just the, the, the queries you get, the question marks that are thrown up over your head as Dr. Mann comes out. Um, there's a tied up, a tied up, nearly dead Yorick. Ampersand is crying. Mm-hmm. And then you just get these random people pointing shotguns at her. Having forgotten a lot of the, the book. Well, sorry, not the, a lot of, I should say, forgetting outside of the main story beats mm-hmm. and not kind of putting two and two together. I'm like, oh, 
what are they doing here? Oh, right. okay. Like, I'm really interested. Let's see how yeah. this happens. Yeah. And you're like, you don't know. And next thing you know, Yark wakes up naked and you're like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I have to give a big compliment to the director, uh, Lara Wokstein, for uh, the opening scene with the camper van entering this area before it crashes into the tree. Uh, there's a sign on the side of the road that says, do not stop for hitchhikers. That's a very well-known sign around prison uh, around prisons. Uh, in case there's a breakout, you're not supposed to pick up hitchhikers because you could be picking up someone that broke out of a prison. Uh, I but it's see a, sign. a literal signpost uh, for, for what yeah. you're going to see in the storyline, which I thought was really funny. It doesn't doesn't have a tag on it saying women's prison in the area or anything like that. It just literally says, do not pick up hitchhikers in this area. Uh, love the signposting. Well yeah. done. That That's really good. I think the other thing that I really liked, it's the aftermath. Uh, as you mentioned there, Chris, um, after the crash and you have, you see Alison Mann sort of checking things and sort of staggering out the back. Um, but it's that shot. I just thought it was amazing where you just, you know, she's, she's gone to check, um, on 355 and she, and it's just, it's because it's dark. There's a slight bit of mist mm-hmm. yeah. and, um, you just see the lights in the distance coming. And then you sit, the camera walks round with her, I think round the front and the lights just get brighter and brighter and brighter until it's Alison man. Uh, silhouetted against those lights and then she kind of comes running back you, you know you can see the odd gun and figure behind those lights uh, but I just thought that was like phenomenally good um, really sort good. of uh, sort of camera yeah. shots I, I just thought it it gave so much atmosphere yeah. it felt iconic with Alison Mann stood on her own you know not knowing where 355 is um, Yorick effectively um passed out unconscious in the back mm-hmm. um it was just really really good um you know and who are these mysterious people that are you know barely visible uh, from their big spotlights yeah. and so on so that was really um i, I just loved that shot yeah. um and I, I i did really enjoy just the central conceit of him doing a magic trick in the back and then uh, you know, the, the women thinking that he was actually a, a hostage of Alison Mann and 355. <laughs> I thought, I just thought that yeah. that conceit was really nicely done and, and they didn't drag it out either. You yeah. know, it was explained away. You know, Yorick got it when they, they, they said it. Um, and, yeah. you know, it, it led to some really good, uh, dialogue, you know, uh, and I, th- I thought there was some great dialogue throughout this. Uh, episode as well but you know he's explaining well i'm an escape artist and you've just got one of the one of the women saying are you being funny and he goes no jokes are funny and it's just (laughs) like i love the interchange between him and this group of ladies and women over the breakfast table Mm -hmm. i thought it was really sort of nicely played and um certainly the the woman that Kind of is with him through most of this episode that he wakes up naked next to. I mean, again, just his awkwardness um, of getting out, getting the two cushions and so on, trying to figure out where he is. Yeah. I think he's going to go running in with a trophy. But, the, you know, it, it's when he asks them, he goes, you know, why did I wake up naked in, in, in bed? Mm-hmm. Uh, Next to, next to her. Uh, Sonia. Uh, yeah, next to Sonia. Mm-hmm. And she's kind of like... um. You know, she goes, well, 
we needed to take your clothes off because they were bloody and dirty. And he goes, we? And she goes, well, it was just me. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, <laughs> I love the exchange with her because, um, you know, she just goes, don't worry. It was no great honor. Yeah. Um, and she, it's just then her look to like the people on the other side of the picnic table mm-hmm. camera. And she kind of just does that little smile, shake of the head and sort of pulls out her tongue to say, you know, there wasn't much down there. And, um, well, you know, yeah. why is he get, you know, but <laughs> no, but it's that banter of like yeah. what, you know, there's no great honor in it. It wasn't like, um, you know, it was horse material going on down there. I'd, so I just loved the expression and the just, just the vibe that she gave off and the interaction with the people on the other side of the picnic table that you couldn't see their faces and you mm-hmm. just got the sense that there was that. Sort of that exchange of glances, the sniggering, the, the sort of just saying, you know, who do you think you are? Um, and, you know, again, like they, they're not particularly impressed that he's the, the last man. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's well, just like we have of, men. When do we need you? Yeah, exactly. Great, really good. Um, so I really like that. And I, mm-hmm. I think the other thing that distinguishes this group, though, as well, which is really quite interesting, is that they actually, yes, they're ex-prisoners, mm-hmm. but they seem the most level-headed of, um, of, of people that we've encountered so far. You've got yes. the, the, the craziness going on in, in Boston. Mm-hmm. We've seen with, um, Roxanne at the, at the warehouse with Hero, mm-hmm. um, where the, you know, where it, it, it's all a bit threatening. Everything seems a bit threatening. And here, I'm not saying, you don't get a sense of underlying threat. You know, we hear that um, Janice, who's their leader, killed two people back in the 70s. So she's, you know, she's a murderer and so on. But it seems like that, um, I guess, camaraderie of being mm-hmm. in the prison, uh, assuming you've got no direct kind of enemies or whatever, that that has allowed them to be quite cooperative and, and that outside yeah. and seem to be the most well... You know, they've got electricity. They mm. seem to be having a good cookout um, right at the end. So I, I kind of like that idea of saying, you know, people who you would perceive or naturally think maybe to be the ones doing the looting and all that um, really seem to be possibly the more level-headed in at the moment. I like I like your qualifications in there, John. There seem to be possibly this, <laughs> uh, at the moment all in no, there. I know. And all really important because there is a very important scene at the end of this yes. episode um, where we have uh, one of the ladies approaching the de facto leader, even though they say they don't have a leader, and telling her, obviously, Yarrick and 355 and Dr. Mann were being chased. And if those people find us, they're going to start asking questions like maybe, what happened to the prison guards? And what happened to the people that used to populate this town that we're now living in, which are two really important questions for people that used to be inside a prison. <laughs> so you're like, hang on a second. What did they do to the yeah, prison guards? No, exactly. That's the bit I love. That's the bit. Because you, you're led to believe this whole episode is like, oh, like the, the prisoners are sweet and nice too and everything's great. And then they just drop that bomb right at the end. Yeah. And I can see so many people go, turn to each other on a couch and go, oh, God, yeah. Exactly. And just, like, that just kicks, it opens, it's essentially this is barn door where you're like, oh, it's a really nice, just, it, it, it's a, the most function. as John said, it's the most functional society and group mm-hmm. we've met so far. And then they just open this barn door. They don't even, they just 
or put it open a crack. They just kick it down and it's just like, oh. Yeah, no, I, I kind of, that's why I qualified. And mm-hmm. I, I would slightly disagree to think that you, I think there's always a sense of underlying tension here when you know it's prisoners. And mm-hmm. I mean, we even, but what I, I think there's always that underlying threat. But, you know, they look after 355, they mm-hmm. give her treatment, they actually, in a sense, do do justice by, okay, it's, come, you know, it's the wrong end of the stick, but they, and, and they don't kill them, they, they, they lock them up um, after thinking that actually they, they've ca- captured uh, Yorick and are holding him against his will. Mm-hmm. So there's a functionality there that you can recognize which there isn't in in some of the other places certainly not in Boston which is effectively a running war yeah. between the government and, and and the other factions in that city mm-hmm. um but yes there is still that underlying threat you know and but even that threat i think even with that comment from you know that, that whilst i think Janice is the leader that they will make the decision collectively and democratically you know you hear yorick say what was the margin um (laughs) of of, uh of of the vote and she said it was tight but they've gone with it and so you have her just expressing the concerns that but what about our community yeah uh, that we've built that it it could be undone if these people are being sort of chased or followed and i guess at least in terms of the prison and in terms of um, the community, the men would have died from the event. Absolutely. So uh, I, I guess that's... I mean, the, the question is who unlocked them from their cell? Mm-hmm. Uh, because would then the female prison guards do that? Probably not. Um, so I, I guess maybe they were already out. They could have been exercising or, you know, whatever it may have whatever may have happened and then they overcome them so i'm not saying that it wasn't possibly brutal but mm-hmm. i think that's what i mean is there is this underlying threat but so far it's like you can't really um diss them for for kind of treating their guests um pretty well mm-hmm. compared to how roxanne has you know roxanne turned four people away yeah um, absolutely. and in Boston, effectively, it was open warfare. Yeah. Um, so look at the sense. Pentagon when we yeah. when when uh, President Brown goes out to address the crowds. There is essentially a full on protest, and she says, "You are welcome to stay and protest." And but I recommend that you go to the camps that we've set up for yeah. you. She's still trying to push. She's them still away, trying to get them. Yeah, yeah. Um, and again, I'm I'm certainly not going to spoil the storyline for that's from the comic books or whatever way it's going to go in the future. But I do like that underlining of. Um, maybe you haven't asked that question about the, about these lovely women that have set up this utopian community. I think even Yark describes it as where they all vote on everything and everything's going there. They ask the question at the end of the episode. So there is that tension, uh, with them when we get into the next episode. Uh, 355 never forgets. We hear a number of times 355 realizing that this is a group of former female prisoners and being on her guard throughout the episode. Yeah, exactly. Uh, which I really like, but I, I also have to say there is, Janice's line back to Don, who says that to her. Janice's line is, "We could tell them the tell them the truth," and Don goes, "Well, when's the truth ever worked out for people like us before?" So, 
it, it it's just throwing some shadow on top of the possibility that these these are a happy community, a happy utopian community, which is, which is what I like about this show. It's what I like about the comic books that we don't know until it's delivered to us exactly the intentions of every character that that Yarrick and three five five and and Doctor Man will meet on the road. So. Exactly, and I mean I'm no expert on the state of the prison system in the US, but mm. I mean certainly everything that I've seemed to have heard on documentaries is that you know there is an awful lot of people in there for very minor di- misdemeanors ill almost in a sense mm. and so now okay not janice in <laughs> not this janice, case <laughs> um she kills someone but yeah, it, it, it's it's an interesting kind of idea that um you know maybe there is quite a number of injustices where people from from that prison and that's why in themselves they're quite have a sense of justice to other people yeah. and why they bring them in. So, but I just think it's really interesting, that mm-hmm. dynamic. Yes. Um, as I say, I might be totally upended by the uh, the next episode when it's all-out warfare mm-hmm. uh, and so on. But I think you get that sense that it could be that anyway from this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it is. Uh, I never got the sense that it was a utopia, but it was a functioning place Absolutely. with rules. And again, that's probably coming from the prison system where there's rules for everything. Exactly, yeah. yeah. I'm not sure whether I 100% agree with Sonia's uh, estimation that Janice is harmless. Sure, she Doesn't she read those types of books that you know, <laughs> that older women would read? And she's just a relaxed older woman kind of thing. And then when John, when Dom challenges her for a second, you see how quickly Janice flips. You see that, that moment where they're kind of going, what are you talking about, little girl? You know, <laughs> So uh, she does assert her, her dominance in there. One of the realms as well of your point, Chris, is the these moments here that we have, three, five, Five and um and Dr. Mann stuck inside that prison uh cell all alone, and then we also get Yarrick added into the mix. Absolutely love these three actors together. I wonder if this was the kind of chemistry piece that they read together to yeah. see if they all work together because all three of them have great moments in, in the in those scenes. Uh I love the conversation between um Dr. Mann and 355 to begin with, where Dr. Mann's saying saying, you know, I'm a really intelligent person, I can help you out in your plan. And 355 fires back at her going, well, there were 30 people on the list of most intelligent people in the country. You weren't on that list, <laughs> effectively. So uh, I love the kind of banter between the two of them there. Uh, it's really, really good. Yeah. It's even beyond that. It's the shoelace scene where it's Yarrick's <laughs> arrogance. Again, I really like the term arrogance today. Mm, no. That's weird. Yeah, I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll blow right past my arrogance for using the word arrogance. <laughs> um, it's his choice where he, he tries to, thinks he can, even in her concussed state, he can take 355 and her shoelace. Do you think and, that's what he's doing really, Chris? No, he's trying to prove to her that she is sick and concussed. Yes. Exactly. But it's that scene, mm-hmm. that one where, that was for me even beyond just the the back and forth between three fifty five and man and mm. that yes that that the the chemistry between those two actresses is yep. just yep. fantastic mm-hmm. when you add Yarg and his buffoonery in there <laughs> it is it's even more fun and the yeah. stoicism of three fifty five and like each of those actors is just fantastic yeah. I, I we say I say it every time. Like Ashley, Ben, and uh, Diana, you do have to assume as soon as they got the first table read, after they like made that decision, okay, these are our cast, and they got in, they got them all together as the three, and they did the first table read. 
you have to imagine that the directors and the showrunners and everyone were just like, oh, thank God, okay, it worked out. <laughs> we nailed it, it's fine. Yeah, exactly. It was really good. I mean, uh, there's the, some elements, you know, I love the fact that even though 355 still, you know, she's injured and, and concussed and captured, she's still on the ball with trying to get intel, you know, trying to just figure out the situation where, she, you know, she 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 makes... And um, the connection that this is uh, a, a female prison. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love the the dialogue between her and Alison Mann around, like as you said, Derek, about being on the list and or the, the, you know and and intelligence and all that. And you know, Alison Mann, after being kind of shot down, says, "Well, you know, I can at least contribute." And she gets shot down again. And I love the line that she comes back at. Um, 355 with and it just shows Alison Mann's sort of um, sort of pointed acerbic kind of delivery is well as long as there's no trees between here and California we'll be okay <laughs> uh, after the crash I mean it's just yeah. really great sort of dialogue and then you add in Yorick into these four walls and one small room mm-hmm. and you know just to, to my earlier point you know 355 is still kind of convinced that these women are going to kill us because they're prisoners. Alice Mann is kind of bought into that. Um, Yorick is more optimistic, maybe a bit like myself about it, but Alison again says, well, at least one of us will die ignorant. <laughs> just yeah. so on the ball. I love, love that line where, there, where it's really Alison 355 talking and, and uh, 355 delivering um, some of them are serving life sentences. So, and then Yara kind of wakes up a couple of seconds later and goes, "What? So what? What? What would happen?" <laughs> and uh, Allison just goes, "They will kill us." <laughs> he thinks they've trailed off in their conversation. He missed something, but everybody else has pieced it together. Life sentences. They are murderers. They may kill us. Um, also, one of the great one from Allison Mann. I'm just going to quote lines from this episode because there's so many great yeah. ones. But I love that moment where uh, where 355 is going uh, is is preparing her shoelace effectively. Um, and saying, you know, don't worry, we'll keep us safe. And and Alison goes, yeah, I was I was really worried for a minute there. And then you got that shoelace. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Um, little uh, little extra chemistry moment also between uh, three fifty five and Alison Mann, and uh, when Alison's taking care of three fifty five's wounds. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting to see this early on in the show as well, isn't it? Yes. I I, I didn't again did not. I get the feeling that they wanted to sprinkle in as many potentials as possible throughout the, the first this this first season in the hopes that when they get season two that they, they have a lot of the seeds, if you will. I think it just works really well as well because um, the three fifty five. We know nothing about her past. We hear, learn a little bit in this yes. episode about about her past, but we know nothing about her personal life outside of what we've seen. We saw yeah. in that first episode thought, thought that was her boyfriend that she was with. It turned out to be a mission that she was on. So we don't really know anything about her history. I like even when um, Alison's kind of prodding her a little bit, kind of going, you know, do you have a husband at home? Do you have a wife? Yeah, and we don't get an answer from that for three fifty five. She just kind of smiles and, and nods or smiles and laughs, kind of thing. Um, but I, I like that that we're still not getting more. She's still not an open book uh, this far into the series as well. So, um, so that moment plays out as it does, and three fifty five pushes her away, and then goes, "Oh, like as in no offense, like I'm just take care of the wounds myself, kind of thing." You know, <laughs> uh, I like that. 
I'll, I'll close it up with um, perhaps the, the best bat. Even as 355 slips away into unconsciousness with her medicated state, she tells Yark, don't trust that woman. I fall asleep. <laughs> so it's going to be fun to see how they progress this storyline in the next episode. Yeah. Um, what they do. I, I get the feeling once again, they will slightly diverge from what we already know to be the, the official storyline uh, from the comic books. I think I get, I, this is my just assumption is that we will not get the beat for beat. The, the, we, the overarching might be there, but I, I don't think it will. And that's why I even more again, um, enthused by this first season so far. Mm-hmm. Um, it's that they, they're marching to the beat of their own drum, but that is a, that drum is playing part of a song you already know. It's their own, it's, it's a cover version that's slightly off. It's yeah. just like, this yeah. is how, this is a blues version of Blink 182's like all the small things. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's, uh, there's an yeah. analogy. Uh, yeah, I, I do like how they've expanded these stories of the show. Uh, anything else on uh, on this side of the story before we move on? No, nothing, nothing for more for me. All right, John, take us on to your favorite moment from the episode. Uh, mine is the family affair. It's really Norma and Kimberly Cunningham, the mm-hmm. the first lady and the the first lady's daughter, um, and it kind of. It's it's all starting with that debrief um, from the three bikers of the apocalypse to <laughs> Jennifer and also to Regina and and the captain mm-hmm. uh, and so effectively the new information being thrown into the boiling pot that is the Pentagon, which is a man and his monkey, um, and this this information ultimately takes us on a journey in the Pentagon, which I just thought was incredible. Mm-hmm. And in no small uh, way um, down to Paris Jefferson's portrayal of um, effectively a crumbling and disintegrating um, former first lady, but also a daughter, Kimberly, played by Amber Tamberlin. Mm-hmm. Um, I just... Um, I was transfixed by it. I thought Paris Jefferson was phenomenal. Um, and I loved the journey. You know, right at the start, um, Norma says about Jennifer, she's a decent woman. Um, and how it changes to, you know, having this information about the man and monkey where she drops the glass. She, she realizes she did see them in the Pentagon. Mm-hmm. It alerts Regina and Kimberly to that fact. But where she confronts Jennifer, uh, in the, the war room, you know, the, the operations room. Um, and, you know, just says, why you? You weren't even a good mother. Mm. It should have been Ted or my son or my grandbabies. Mm. And just the, the pointedness of that, that delivery. And, and I guess luckily for Jennifer, um, most of the other people really have no idea what she's talking about. Yeah. Um, because it's so pointed, so directed and focused her, mm-hmm. her anger at, at Jennifer for making her feel as though she's going crazy. Cause she's going crazy being cooped up in 
the um, the five walls of the Pentagon, uh, let alone, um, you know, so, and, and we've seen that. Um, like, there's just this wonderful vacant stir that Paris Jefferson does at, mm-hmm. at, with her eyes. But, you know, so it, it goes from this delivery of anger to kind of um, hurt when she realizes that she's not even been involved with things that have happened around the family's sort of properties oh, or, yeah. or their life about, you know, she wants to go off and be pioneer women again at, at one of the houses uh, out in the, in, in the countryside, you know, with orchards and all that. And, and it's gone. It was, it was taken out by a broke, a, a burst dam. The whole town. And, yeah. And, um, yeah. you know, she, she's, as she keeps saying, I have to get out of here. Let's go home. We've seen this already. It, it's claustrophobic. It, it's it's falling in on her. Mm-hmm. And, and she has no purpose either. She was, exactly. she was former first lady. And I love that we've seen her play both sides of that role as well. It shows how great an actress she is. We saw her in the first episode in that really great stoic supporting role of the of the president we saw her with her grandkids at this big party that was thrown in her honor and now we've seen her for the last three or four episodes lying in bed watching tv we see her when she does when when kimberly does get her out of bed coax her out of bed we just see her sitting on a couch drinking whiskey at some time in the afternoon you know yeah um watching former reruns of mash and mm-hmm. so on and you know all the while She's sort of withdrawing into inaction and and closing herself. And Kimberly is absolutely pent up with rage mm-hmm. uh, about this revelation that has come. I mean, I, I love the fact that you know Regina, as well, um, seems to think that the 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 story from the um, from the soldiers is really all a bit agog and peculiar and, yeah. and, and crazy. She you know she doesn't put any substance in it. Yeah. But, you know, it fires Kimberly up completely. But, and I'll come to that in, in a bit, but it, it's just where Kimberly is sort of, you know, in God's name, you know, to choose him, choose Yorick for this divine purpose. Mm-hmm. And you have Norma just, it's kind of, it's almost like a sigh. It's like, I just want to go home. There is no God. Like, yeah. She's not even listening to her, her daughter. She, you know, it's that desperation. And then, you know, her only way out is to get on the roof of the Pentagon and throw herself off. Yeah. And yeah. I, I, that scene with Kimberly seeing the, the letter or the note that's been left on the bed and running into the corridor, the scream going down the corridor, but it cuts so well to Jennifer waking up to mm-hmm. Kim's scream of agony. Yeah. Um, and it's a metaphor for the own alarm bell of effectively the trouble that she is in. And I mean, like, Jennifer Brandt actually doesn't come off very empathetic to me in, in this. Nope. Uh, when, when, uh, Norma comes to that war room, I mean, she kind of does that dutiful, you know, PR thing of, you know, let's have respect. She's she, like, she's maintaining the, she's crazy. She's gone yeah. nuts, yeah. uh, line effectively. And she look, knows yeah. so well that it's of her making yeah. because she's trying to keep her son a secret. Yeah, Jennifer has uh, a lot of lucky escapes yeah. in this episode. You know, the, the initial report from the captain that comes, that, that comes to her, she kind of says, well, Hang on a second. You were drugged and you were 10 feet away and the possibilities of a man being out there, they're pretty low. So yeah. uh, let's not talk about this and let's get them reassigned as soon as possible because um, we can't get this story spreading because it's going to be a powder keg. Yeah. Yet she knows this is all true. 
and she's, yep. she's cast out on another person. So again, with the first lady saying, yeah. Oh, well, you know, gotta remember she, she lost her three grandkids. They were all in bed together watching a movie and the three grandkids died. Like the kind of toll that will take on a person and they'll have these stories in their head. Like that, that's going to throw her over the edge kind of thing is, is what Jennifer's saying to cover up a true story that is now affecting uh, everything that's going on. Yeah. So, and it, uh, and it yeah. has the implications. And that's why I loved her waking up to the screams because mm-hmm. the, the 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 subterfuge of Jennifer and, and you understand why she's done that herself is coming home to roost um without you know her being honest about it effectively yeah um it will come home to roost but I mean to the point I thought this was phenomenal acting from Paris Jefferson mm-hmm. I really felt for her um and I I thought it was done so well and you know flip side of that is. Kimberly getting sort of the, 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 the wind of the Holy Spirit in her sails. And, um, this idea of, you know, we, you know, that we can turn this to our advantage. Mm-hmm. Yorick is the key that God has chosen him. I mean, even Regina was like going this. Okay. Like you could see the kind of, you're going to, <laughs> you're, you're getting a little sort of, um, evangelical at, at this point, you know, that, that, God has chosen him for this divine purpose. Yeah. It, it's really interesting. And this is probably my own preconception, but it, it, it's the, the, you know, last week's episode, we see Kimberly with Christine saying, mm-hmm. you know, Christians are misunderstood. We're very understanding and, and, and very open. And she gets the zealous zeal, I guess, for mm-hmm. finding Yorick. She, to tear down jennifer's administration show uh that it's it, it's it's bad at the center because they're not wanting to uh you know reignite bring the world back from the loss of all these men and mm-hmm. um, through the i guess the central sperm bank in this uh story which is yorick and <laughs> um, so it, it it's just it, it's that flip where she isn't being understanding about what Jennifer did, even though I didn't necessarily kind of side with Jennifer in, in this idea. You can, you know, the reason for doing it. Kimberly is now, so you can see she is driven by emotion and certainly with the death of her mum now. And she's, she's going to put that squarely on the shoulders of Jennifer. Yeah. It's going to absolutely motivate her to, destroy this woman and mm-hmm. um, well it's official and, right now she has lost everything she's yeah, lost she's, her kids she's exactly. lost her husband she's lost her father now her mother's mother's gone she has no power as well she's lost everything yeah. her home's gone as well which we've which we had confirmed in, in the and episode here as well i so. think it's done really really well because it feels almost shakespearean to me Absolutely. you know it, it, it within um the pentagon here it feels mm-hmm. properly epic in terms of this power struggle, which I kind of didn't think it would get to that point. I just think it's really phenomenally done here. Yeah, and really. I, I just felt so much for Norma here, you know, yeah, but when the- she says, you made me believe I was crazy, mm-hmm. you know, effectively yeah. to, to Jennifer Brown. Yeah. And, but it is like, even, even that well, moment where you, you mentioned it earlier on where she says, I want to go home. 
And Kimberly tries to console her with saying, no, no, mom, you are home. And I think I, I actually think that's the moment that she breaks. She's already given up God. She's yeah. already realized that everything's lost and realized nobody's telling her anything, even about losing her own home. Nobody's told her about it. They just assume that somebody else will. Kim, even Kimberly did. But when she says to her, no, you are home. It's that's that's the moment she realized how trapped she really is. Yeah. And that's what pushes her to, to do what she does, and which is which is an awful, awful scene. But about Kim and Kimberly and what she wants to do here as well, you can tell you can tell how far she's taking it to the extreme. It's not about capturing Yarek to use him for their for her own purpose. It's it is, as you say, tear, tearing down Jennifer's government. But then she says, we'll get him back here and then we'll reignite the human race and then it'll be okay. We'll be back to being a nation of mothers. And you can tell that's the point where Regina is going, whoa, hang yeah, on a second. No, exactly. Back to a nation of mothers. That's that's way further away from where I'm going. So we're now both on two different extremes as well. Well, so, and it's the, it's, yeah. the, it's the divineness, the divine purpose mm-hmm. as well. So there's the added element here of it being... Um, driven by the book effectively, yeah. you know, that you feel she will use any excuse and it will potentially be brought down to being God's purpose, yeah. you know, or not almost like Spanish Inquisition type thing, you know, or that violence that is done in the name of God kind well, of exactly. thing. Well, oh, I thought you were going to be, say, because like, something comes left to feel and no one's expecting it because no one expects the Spanish Inquisition. <laughs> well, no, exactly. <laughs> but, exactly um, <laughs> but exactly like we were saying last week about the way that she rationalized within her mind why Christine was pregnant. You know, she rationalized yeah. that this was God's punishment and then she rationalized, oh, actually, no, this is God's decision to make someone pregnant so that she so you can show life inside all of this death. And now she's rationalizing, oh, the reason why Yarrick was chosen was because, oh, well, that's in God's plan and that will help us restart society and it makes the nation of mothers again. And it's just this rationalization yeah. with God in the background and effectively saying that every decision that she turns her mind to that can benefit her is because that's God's choice and God's will for her and the world. And that's yes. just... How extreme Kimmy's gone. Yeah. But, it, and it's, but it's also a coping mechanism. You know, this, mm. the, 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 her, her religion, her faith is that coping mechanism mm-hmm. along with now the drive to get a family back. And, but also it's just being power charged with emotion mm-hmm. with the, the suicide of her mom, which she knows will be down to oh well it'll be interesting what's in the note actually but it 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 potentially you know she will she's put that on jennifer and i i find kimberly fascinating mm-hmm. again it's just such a great uh portrayal of someone who in effect is breaking down like her mother yeah but but channeling it outwards with rage and emotion rather than internalizing it yeah. as Norma did. And it, it's the contrast between the two of them. And I, I thought this was probably some of the best scenes in TV I've seen in ages. Yeah. And I, I put it down to these two, uh, actors, um, of, of Amber Timberlin and, um, Paris Jefferson. Yeah. I, I just love these two. Yeah. For me, yes to everything you both have said. And I, and again, this is why this is one of my favorite episodes. Really, what I wanted to give a, sh- a shout out to was Eliza Clark and Olivia Purnell for this, because uh, uh, Purnell's episodes that she's written has a lot more of Kimberly in it and things like that. And what I'm starting to see is 
it's a characterization of both conservative viewpoints in the US, but that versus the evangelical side of some of the more conservative Republican viewpoints in the US and how they differ. Mm-hmm. So, because, look, we did yeah. human beings, we like to categorize, and it's easier to yeah. just put a lot of people into certain pots. So, you're gay, you're straight, okay, it's one of the two. You're yeah. X or you're Y. It's never X, Y, Z, or A, B, C, D, yeah. E, F. Like, it's easier to say. So, I see this as a, it's a character study mm-hmm. in yeah. the, the what it is to be because they're, they, it, I'm saying Republican. They said to be re- Republican in the beginning as a, yeah. as a mm-hmm. political uh, leaning. They're Republican. Uh, one is very conservative Republican, and it's that you could say it's the Mallory Green. Now, Kimberly is coming into this evangelical where you said it's God's plan, it's God's decision. It's going to come down to like what it means to be both of those and what it means in a an apocalypse and they both of them have different points of how they want to rally the base move the country forward so i just i just find it this amazing character study conversation yeah. storyline if you will which is going to be we know they are they are sen- senator brown's president brown's opposition mm-hmm. i agree and you're yeah. just like they are the the political bad sense in this storyline in that they are the opposition to everything that President Brown is going to try to achieve. But it's actually interesting because you're seeing that, okay, there's not just a bad, quote-unquote, there is the two different warring factions within the bad, quote-unquote. Well, yeah, absolutely. I, I'm, I'm totally with you here. I, I think, um, and, and to your point with Eliza Clark and, and for, for this episode with Olivia Purnell, and we've always said it, haven't we, in our shows that we've covered, um, is that, you know, the best ones provide nuance, subtlety, and yeah. show the grayness. And unfortunately, we, we live in a world where it's yes or no, it's black or white, it's Democrat, Republican, Labour, Conservative, you know, whatever it might be. And that's how it's always done, or good and bad, even. Yeah. And it's, to your point, that the subtlety of difference of being a conservative, small c, um, and seeing the look on Regina. And that's the, that's the thing here. You know, that was the great thing about Regina Oliver in this episode was that on the one hand, actually, even though, you know, she doesn't want to, agree with jennifer brown she agrees that what is being in the debrief is crazy and peculiar and you know that the points that jennifer makes that they were it was dark it was confusing they were being taken down they were drugged and it could have been a transgender person you never know and there was a monkey on the guy's back like that it sounds crazy and so she actually agrees with jennifer's assessment of their debrief and then then you have the point where Kimberly is off on one and the look of Regina. And that is, as to your point, Chris, and I'm all for this, is 
showing the subtleties that can, and the spectrum that exists yeah. even in these big camps that people are just put into and, yeah. and classified as, yeah. uh, so, which makes it ultimately wrong um, and makes it ultimately um, makes people misunderstood um, yeah. because, yes, there are, there's this huge spectrum, like being in the LGBTQI plus community. You know, it's like a huge spectrum. Yeah. A- absolutely. So absolutely. I love that the the showrunners are doing that. Yeah. It, it's, it's the spectrum of how the prison ladies are, are portrayed here as a, a, at one level being actually, they might still be able to uh, gut you with a knife at the end of it, mm-hmm. but there's a level of humanity about them because the, they've had a doctor look at 355 um, and they've fed Yorick and they, they've fed the three of them. Got the test. The, wor- the so- world is not black and white. It is 50 shades of grey. Well, well, it's, yeah. But also they did, they did talk about that before as well. We heard Regina Oliver say last week, I'm a conservative and I'm a feminist, but feminists seem to think that that doesn't belong to conservatives, conservatives. You know, that these, these are the nuances when you turn it, turn it into, you can only be one political party or another political party. You're going to have huge amounts of variations b- between that. That's, oh, yeah. that's just simple choices in your life, which political party you follow doesn't determine everything else about you as a person. So I love that they're able to explore that in the show. They're not putting it down as this is a bad guy. This is a good guy. This is just the people who are left in this world and their stories. So yeah. uh, and that's what makes this show interesting. And that's what should make every TV show interesting. If you're going to do 10 episodes of a TV show, justify why it's longer than two hours, right? Spend time with the characters, get to know them, get to know the nuances and the differences about them. And I think they doing such a good job in the show. Yeah. Uh, I've got one final moment to call out from this, uh, from your point, John, uh, that I really liked. I just want to make sure it's mentioned. Um, I've said about Kimmy being uh, very extreme in, in what she thinks she can do with having Yarrick back. There's an earlier moment that this is called out as well, where she says, I'm going to see my children again. Yeah. Um, she means that. She seems to think that if she gets control of Yarrick or gets control of this situation, she's going to be able to bring her actual children back. And her mother says to her, you'll oh, see yeah. them when you die. Um, yep. You know, and Kimberly's quite shocked at that. And, and Norma saying to her, "Well, you haven't. You don't seem to have shed any tears. If you shed one, your children would have to share it. Um, yeah, like that, that's yeah. a really cutting dig into who Kimberly is. But it is, like you said, Chris, it is that Kimberly hasn't dealt with this situation. Mm-hmm. It's an impossible situation for anybody to deal with. But Kimberly particularly seems to be looking for a way back into her old life and hasn't really accepted that that's gone now. Gonna have to draw a line over that and um, and." work out how you live on in the future effectively. Yeah. I think the line is drawn in this episode at the end when she is in the hallway because I just want to call out and I'm going to, I think I have nothing else to add so I'm happy to move it on to the final point but that the scene as Kimberly screaming in the Pentagon Hall mm-hmm. and it just slowly pans backwards mm-hmm. with a bone chilling scream a death a deathly hollow scream and it's just that choice to rather than fixate on the the kimberly as being like an up close and personal scream shows those tears it's kind of like just slowly panning away showing a very Mm -hmm. empty hall an empty pentagon an empty institution 
Definitely. And I think the choice to cut to Jennifer being yeah. startled yeah. and waking up is is genius. It's Not really entirely good. empty hallway, though. Chris uh, Christine is coming up to console her. Um, so remember, Kimmy has been trying to get very close to Christine for the last few episodes. I think this might be something that will bind the two of them together. Ah, okay. Yeah. I think, I, I'm, I'm almost sure that that's Christine that's coming up behind her. Same haircut, same dress that she was wearing throughout the episode. So I think this might be a little moment that will bond the two of them together. So uh, interesting. that'll be interesting to see. Remember, the only other person in the Pentagon that knows that, that Yarrick is alive is um, Christine. Is Christine, And now Kimmy has that information. So uh, maybe she'll get confirmation from Christine as well. So that'll be quite interesting. I thought that was great, but it was a fantastically shot scene. Yeah. You're totally right. Uh, anything else from me to add on that point, John? Before we close no, nope, that, that's it from me. Right. I went third. So that means I've got the, uh, I've got the, um, Final big storyline from the episode. Um, Beth is back. From Australia. And she never went to Australia, Chris. We knew that. <laughs> <laughs> but she did in the comics. And we were wondering how they were going to incorporate her back into the show. We knew since she was in the US in that opening episode where Yark proposed to her stupidly. Uh, and he um, got rightfully broken up with uh, by Beth. Um, we have her now coming back and going into the Pentagon. And... Basically, it, it was really interesting, I thought, because now Beth is not a character that you can trust because she's saying quite a lot of the things you would expect Beth, the former fiancé of, uh, or the former girlfriend, at least, of Yarrick, yeah. saying all the right things to Jennifer, all the nice things, all the, you know, all, all of these ideas that she was in love with Yarrick and uh, she couldn't go back to the apartment because he, he was dead and she couldn't see him that way and she just wanted to speak to somebody else that loved Yarrick. And what you find out is actually what she was trying to do was get a, a, a sneaky peek at this actual government that's in here. We know from previous episodes, particularly the one set in Boston, we know that there's a lot of resentment out there for Jennifer Brown as president and, and a lot of anti-government sentiment out there. A lot of people blaming the government for what happened and, and why they've ended off in this situation. So um, really interesting to see. Beth using her connection with Jennifer to get inside and get a, a sneaky peek about what's inside. And again, interesting to see her description of it saying it's like I went into a time machine. Everything's working in there. They have water and food and shares and, uh, and electricity. Everything's perfectly fine inside. They don't see what it's really like on the outside effectively. Um, so that's a significant change for Beth that she's um, potentially you know, they're, they're keeping it kind of vague, but I'm, I'm guessing you're supposed to read into it that she sided with the anti-government uh, parties or the anti-government organizations effectively. And she's saying, you know, give it a kick and that entire government will collapse. And she has a really quick way in there because she's already been told by Jennifer she wants anything at all. Just come back and she'll be let in no problem. Yeah. I mean, the, the other thing as well, I think Jennifer, incredibly lucky, probably just still being cagey that she doesn't, um, you know, they have a lot of conversation about Yorick mm -hmm. uh, and their relationship. And obviously Jennifer is finding out for the first time certain other things, you know, that she didn't accept the proposal for marriage yep. and all that. But even despite that, even though the, there is that pretense of closeness between them, you know, you can have anything you want, have a shower, here's the bears, you know, yep. we'll feed you and so on. And um, that Jennifer doesn't have it within her to be able to trust the news that Yorick is alive with Beth. Not, and that yeah. ultimately is 
a very smart move yeah. um by accident for Jennifer because of the fact that um if she had that would now be in the hands of this group exactly uh, whatever yeah. and whoever that group uh, is and what they're about but obviously you know the fall of the government is possibly on their agenda given what Beth said and yeah. um, it's interesting because yeah i mean just because this is really the second time we've seen Beth, it, the whole interaction, I, and I, maybe it was because Jennifer didn't open up about Yorick to her, then suddenly did feel cold. It, it felt like I can't really sort of, I'm not necessarily overjoyed to see Beth there. And then when she decided to leave, it was like, oh, okay, that's really weird. And then you see her getting into the back of the van and the, the mm. ulterior motives. And you kind of go, you know, that's probably just really damn fine acting, to be honest, mm. that that is, that is the feeling that you're, you're getting from her because that's the whole point, really. And um, to me, Beth is the calculated cold person. And, mm. and I, I guess now it's even more so because it's calculated for survival or it's another power um sort of center of power in this mm. world yeah. just so happens to be outside of the walls again she's been out in the world two and a half months now um yeah and is walking That's into true. her ex-boyfriend's mother's house effectively which is now the pentagon and she's the leader of the free world let's say <laughs> again so uh so there's definitely going to be substantive officers there but there was a specific decision made by jennifer here as well it wasn't just that she refrained from telling her that yark is alive She's asked by Beth, how did you find Yarek? And she said, oh, same as everybody else, I found his license. Um, so she has effectively said to him, I'm confirming to you my son's dead, just the same way as so many other people who didn't find the body. We found a license. He's dead. Um, that's what she said to him. Do you think she made that decision to do to, to deal with the question that way because Beth said we didn't get engaged? Um, Jennifer th thought that Yarek had proposed to yeah. Beth effectively and Beth says to him I refused and there is a kind of a I think that that's the moment there's a little bit of a twist and Jennifer kind of going oh hang on a second you're not really my daughter you're not my potential daughter-in-law who yeah. lost her fiance you're a person that turned him down you know I don't know she does console Beth yeah I I actually quite like that she said well that's your choice mm -hmm. but at yeah. the same you know I thought that was really good of Jennifer to do um I, I think, though, it, it's as well when she's saying, you know, it was the fact that he was alone when yeah. he died that Jennifer's like going, yeah, you, you left him, you know, mm. um, and even though he is alive, it's that the alternative could have been as she describes. Right. And I think that must put a, a little bit of a different twist on their relationship. Mm. Luckily, again, a very lucky decision from Jennifer considering yeah, everything else definitely. that she's gotten away with in this episode. But I just thought it was really important to to mention the return of Beth in the episode as well. Oh, 100%. And for me, one of the most interesting parts is when the jacket is offered. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, I can't wear that. I can't take mm. that. Why? And then she points to the seal. I can't take this. Exactly. Yeah. So and it kind of confirms like, to Jennifer probably that uh, she was probably right to keep that information away. Like, yeah, exactly. Of course, she's going to go back outside. There's thousands of people outside the, the Pentagon, as we've mentioned earlier on, who are who have been raging against the system for the last two months, effectively. So 
Of course. Yeah, you probably don't want to be walking outside with any kind of presidential seal on yeah. you. Uh, you'll get attacked. You can take you the seal off, too. though. I you was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, that, that's yeah. a stitch on. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> Pick <laughs> it off. Exactly. <laughs> like, has, here, we'll just get you a bit of scissors. Du, 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 done. You're fine. Um, no, I just, for me, this is an interesting one. Um, mm. Very interesting to see where they go with this, what they do with this. Because um, again, completely different in the comic books. Um, exactly, they don't meet each other at all. They, they, in the early parts of those comic books, the initial conversation that's had with them, where he proposes to her, is over Skype. There's no connection between the two of them. Just that Yark's looking for his fiance, and that's it. So, uh, so re- really good that she's been brought into yeah. the yeah. storyline in the US. Definitely, yeah. And that's it for for my point. Um, just wanted to cover that one off. Any notes? Anything else that we want to talk about before we close out the episode, guys? Uh, none from me, no. No, nothing here. All right, just one last one because we missed it uh, earlier on. Um, 355's dream. Um, oh, God, yeah. She wakes up to find um, her the, the crash site, effectively, from where her parents were killed uh, when she was a child. I think she said she was 12 um, when that happened, when the crash happened. Um, anybody else get caught on that since we hadn't seen 355 getting taken back to the prison? Anybody else assume that she'd been thrown out of the camper van? <laughs> that was her waking up from the camper van? Yep. Yeah. That's exactly what I meant. I was like, oh. Really well a- put together scene, yeah. Because yeah. you kind of go and go, oh, there's another car that's crashed over there just at the other side of the road just after she's crashed into a tree. Um, but it was I- as soon as I saw the necklace, because mm-hmm. it's the one around her neck, that I realized, okay, it's a dream. Mm-hmm. Um, it must be her mother's necklace. Yeah. 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 The interesting part is it, they are they are sprinkling in more of 355's yeah. history. Exactly. Earlier on, and what I'm, I'm more, I'm way more interested. It's just more because I love National Treasure and all of the U.S. crazy conspiratorial <laughs> mystery groups. When they start talking about the Culpa Ring mm-hmm. and how they get to that one, I'm like, ooh, it's going to be interesting. I'm a hundred percent they're going to change the origin of the Culpa Ring, um, but uh, let's see. Yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting to see that uh, in, in the future episodes. Just uh, again, another another great moment from the episode, and uh, really well filmed. Because yeah, I was kind of going, "Wow, she got thrown all the way out of the car, <laughs> going in and saving Yarick and, and Doctor Man from these people that have captured them, or something like that." But uh, it turns out to be another dream. Um, yeah, really interesting to see inside the mind of uh, of three five five and what she's going through. Um, and that's it for the episode. Uh, overall, we've kind of already uh, said our overall thoughts of the episode, but anything else to add about overall thoughts from the episode, John? Um, no, this was my favourite of the series so far. I'd give it five strategically placed cushions out of five. <laughs> um, I I just loved this. I, I mean, I can't reiterate enough um, from... Norma, the former first lady, to Kimberly Cunningham, uh, even, you know, to Janice, the leader of the former prison ladies. And mm-hmm. um, I really, really enjoyed all the performances here. And, and the, also, you know, the continuation of the central ones with Allison 355 and, and Yorick. It, it was just so, so good. And um, so, yeah, five strategic. Strategically placed cushions out of five. Excellent. How about yourself, Chris? Anything, anything else to add? I'll, I'll double that five and make it ten. Mm-hmm. Ten out of five. Yes, uh, 100%. Ten out of five. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, for me, this is my favourite in... Uh, I, I've discussed it. I, 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 over the last couple of ones, I've been up and down and kind of... They've been kind of... It's going faster and it's too slow and parts and overall... 
this for me has reignited what I believe to be the the crux of what is why the last man has a comic book um, and a narrative story. And I think this is just has been, you put it best. This is why they did it. They did a TV show and not a two hour movie. Mm -hmm. Like they're able to go into these nuances and this character development of growth and tell some of these stories. And they are walking to a beat of their own drum, their own song. And I'm here for it. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and, you know, just to point out, we had three points there uh, to talk about in, in the episode. Our first point in the four prisoners of the ladies' prison. That's the comic book story that they took. But the other two major points in the episode aren't from the comic nope. books. Those are, those are completely from the TV. Beth yeah. uh, is an Australian comic books. And there isn't there isn't that machination. There's no Virginia Oliver that I'm aware of uh, as a major character in the comic books. And there's no Kimberly and there's no uh, no uh, none of her family story is in there at all. So this is all created for the TV at all really really good loved this episode i love that they can uh, they have such great writers on board that are able to take this and, and turn it into such a great storyline and we've got three more episodes left to go excellent stuff exactly excellent let's have a uh, a check-in with our wonderful fellow survivors let's go on to some feedback uh, first up over on facebook on last week's episode dr bob phillips says women in black and the church of the latter day musicians was a spooky and beautiful opening the walmart warriors sorry amazons feel like the hardest edge this world can get to they aren't wrong in lots of what they said but that baptism maybe a step or a thousand too far yark is nothing but a liability a well-meaning one but a liability. (laughs) (laughs) I think that is Yorick spot on. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, I I think uh, he's just this sort of lovable liability. It's a really, really unfortunate, isn't it? Because, you can't like drop them off somewhere. If you had somebody else that you're traveling the the, uh, the country with and they were a liability, you're just going to go, right, you just stay there. I'll continue <laughs> yeah. on with this mission. But the mission is him as well. So he's, that's the, uh, the big problem with him being a liability, isn't it? Uh, thanks so much, Dr. Bob. Yeah, thanks, Bob. Yes. Uh, over on Twitter, we got some feedback from Kevin Grogu's Brosif, uh, who goes by the handle at Loves Wars, uh, who had this to say. I love all of your podcasts. Great fun coverage of a great show. This might be a bit off topic, but I've been wanting to say this ever since your coverage of Why the Last Man started. I want to tip my hat to the new intro and outro music for this podcast. It's your best yet. Uh, Derek, do you want to tell them about the intro and outro? Absolutely, yeah. Thanks so much, uh, Kevin, for that. We uh, we searched pretty long and hard for our um, for our intros and outros. I think John, you found this one um, for the episode. You gave a couple of options um, for the episodes for this one. Um, it's by the artist Ketza, uh, and the song itself is called Tumbleweeds. We've just taken a little edit from it. Um, I intended to give you the full uh, the full version of the song on the final episode i will i will put it in there but it absolutely suits, suits this show so well yeah. i love there's a bit in in the edit that we've got which we do have a choir um singing along with this kind of country and western uh or well let's say western music which given last week's episode particularly suits really well in this show we have a, you know a mix of everything that's in there it's like as if it was written for uh for the show it wasn't uh so huge thank you to katza for uh for the song yeah, absolutely. And thanks very much, Kevin, for your feedback. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Kevin. Yes, uh, we are a big fan of your brother. Grogu from yes, Grogu. Mandalorian, yes. 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 We also got some feedback uh, from Victor Von Doom over on email. He says, greetings, survivors. This series hits harder with each episode. 
The former inmates have a little more compassion and composure than others we have met so far. What was Y thinking, challenging 355? He seems to never learn. Does Sonia have designs on Y? Mm-hmm. Regina and Kim have what they need to challenge Jennifer. But with the First Lady's tragic death, it may become a bit more complicated. I was suspicious of Beth's appearance. I felt she could not be trusted. It must be the freckles. <laughs> of course, I was later proven right. The murd is about to hit the fan again. Keep the faith, survivors, Victor Von Doom. Thanks, Victor. Yeah, I, I think um, the the old murd is going to hit yeah. the, the fan uh, for sure. Mm. It is going up Murd Creek without a paddle for sure. <laughs> uh, because, okay. yeah, it, there's, there's way too much raw emotion flying around here. Um, and just... I guess ideological stuff as well that it is not really gonna uh, lead to a happy melting pot no. in the Pentagon. I don't think. <laughs> no, definitely not. <laughs> Thanks so much, Victor, for your feedback. I, I do like that Yarek did challenge three five five. I, th- I think he probably felt she was a little less strong than she ended off being. She could still kick his ass no matter whether she's ten feet under the ground or not. But I do like that he at least challenged her to try and teach her that. Hang on a second, you need to take a break. You're, you're not Definitely. Well. There's a really nice smirk from 355 during that fight as well, mm-hmm. because, you know, she, she knows that she's underpowered as well, yet with a few, um, killer assassin, uh, bootlaces that she can still get him. Um, Absolutely. I, I just loved some of her expressions during that fight. Um, you know, she, she was just both like proud of the fact that she could do it and was smirking at him, egging him on, but also knowing that she was sort of powered down from mm-hmm. the concussion. Um, it, it was really, and the, the kind of the strain of certain things. And obviously to the extent that she's throws up at the end. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> That's a, a funny little ending. And I love that it just happened just before Sonia turned the key to come into the room as well. Uh, great stuff. Thanks very much, Victor. Uh, we also have an email in from Christina who said, hiya, been enjoying your commentary on one of my favorite comics. Why has a special place in my heart? I'm a huge black female comic nerd but this is the first comic that had someone that looked like me as a primary and important character i devoured a world that not only was fascinating but placed a black female character as the antagonist did you catch the 355's card was the queen of hearts when yarek did his card trick i am really worried about jennifer she is being surrounded on all sides leading me to believe she will fail or she will need to become far more brutal than she is currently being hearing they almost set a guard on fire is a premonition of what i feel is coming and gaslight in the military that will feel the most offended at the loss of the two pilots, more so than anyone outside of the gates, as Regina believes. Then there's Kimmy, who certainly will try to spin her mother's suicide as Jennifer's gaslighting of her. I've watched enough seasons of Scandal to know that a familial death works in a politician's favour. <laughs> this will give her persuasive clout in some fashion, especially since there's an election coming. If the rebels attack the Pentagon, the military and fearful will want Regina's re- vengeful reasoning of the situation jennifer will never lead them to yark how crazy did kimmy appear in that scene about how yark is god's plan and she will make everyone a nation of mothers again just reminds us some cults existed long before the emerging ones and have a history of violence to justify their rhetoric i wonder how much regina is swallowing this i felt as if kim wasn't taking hints from her mother that regina's a nut job but maybe marla realized her daughter has slid in that direction as well 
as it's the last straw that broke her before she couldn't live anymore. 355 beating up Yarrick and man slapping him for antagonizing her was hilarious. But what has subtly done is her acquiescence to their desired agency. She allows man to speak when she told her she, she would do the talking once a member arrived. She allowed Yarrick's judgment on staying to play out as he accepted their offer. She kept saying she was fine, but once it was clear she wasn't, she allowed her feistily to be taken care of though she promises it will never, ever happen again. Can't wait to see what happens with these new changes, Beth. Better not have anything to do with anything happening to Jennifer. And if so, how will that affect the story going forward? Christina from Black Girl Couch Reviews. Thanks so much, Christina. Really good to hear your thoughts on the episode. You had some really good points there, particularly on 355 and allowing uh, them to kind of take care of her without actually saying she's allowing them to take care of her. You see that moment when she's saying, uh, which is finally being led out of the cell. Uh, she's falling backwards, but not allowing Yark to touch her at all, but eventually allows man to come in beside her and kind of hold her up, you know, because uh, they've had that fight. But she's acquiescing, to, like that like that uh, phrase, she's acquiescing to the idea that Yark can make some decisions and man can actually speak and deal with this situation because she's not feeling well. Yeah. But this is the last time it'll ever happen. And I, Christina, to your point, I, there was that really fantastic scene where... Uh, Kim is praying, you know, um, Norma's just been told like they have no house to go back to because it was destroyed in the flood. Um, and just her face, you know, this vacant stir mm-hmm. um, looking out uh, and where she, you know, admits to her own daughter uh, who is um, who is praying in front of her that there is no God? I, I just I just thought that was really such a, a fantastic scene. Mm-hmm. And as you say, it's that realization that maybe Kimmy, um, with everything that's happened, has slid in a direction that um, really she can't any longer recognize and um, from everything that's happened it's like the mother and daughter have moved in it you know in opposite directions so yeah uh, yeah really that, good. that kimmy may spin that to her side um, oh absolutely as well you know we, we heard from regina oliver in the last episode that she thinks she may not be able to win against jennifer because uh, jennifer has tragedy on her side from losing her husband her her son her daughter uh, and her daughter uh whereas regina didn't lose anybody because yeah. she wasn't married and didn't have kids we, we suspect so interestingly, she may have tragedy on her side because of Kimmy and the loss of her mother. Yeah, so, Kim's um, yeah. Kim's scream of agony mm-hmm. is Jennifer's alarm bell. Yeah, absolutely. It, you know, it really is. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Christina, for your feedback, and thanks so much for listening to the podcast. Yeah, thanks, Christina. Uh, really great to get uh, your feedback in. Thank you, Christina. Now, finally, we have a voicemail that was sent in to feedback at TV Podcast Industries, where you can send any email or a voicemail, much like Steve Brown did. Take it away, Steve. All right, here we go. Why the Last Man, episode seven. <laughs> so I guess he's he's still practicing his escapology, and he, it's like it's important that you believe that. <laughs> well, that was sudden. I did not see that coming. Crashing the truck. Whoa. Okay, I lost track with this. I may have to rewatch the last episode again. Like these are the soldiers that were. Yeah, now I remember. Hey, why is he waking up naked in this bed in this strange place? Jokes are funny. <laughs> You're funny, Yorick. Okay, so they're being held captive, Dr. Mann and 355. She just had this dream of, looks like a, probably a crash from her younger flashback. 
Okay, Dr. Man, we have now established that you're not very perceptive as far as firearms goes and people. Oh, so 355 has figured out they're at a women's prison. Interesting. Okay, I don't think that Kimberly's mom is buying all of this or buying into it. I know Kim wants to usurp the presidency by finding Yorick, and I don't know. It's political. <laughs> is there anything to know? I'd love someone to blame. Yeah, great, great lines right there. Okay, I just figured out this is Beth <laughs> with uh, the president here. Okay, I don't know why I didn't figure that out before. No, I hope that's not a foreshadowing line uh, that, of course not, no one can get in. It's the Pentagon. Um, interesting. I don't know if that's true or not. Lynchburg underwater? Uh, crazy. Is she not going to tell her that Yorick is alive? I, maybe not. I can see how the truth in this situation might not work out well. Oh, that's rough. She just... Oh, and Kimberly figured it out. And, oh. Okay, I don't know who this group is that uh, Beth has hooked up with, but it is nice that they, after they, you know, show a suicide, they, they give the suicide prevention hotline. All right, can't wait to talk to you. Uh, hear what you guys say about this one. Thanks so much, Steve. Yeah, interestingly enough, um, depending on where you watched it, what country, what feed, uh, the, a lot of the episodes had a suicide, suicide prevention hotline or suicide awareness hotline or help hotline, depending on where it had that right at the end, which was really nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, really important. It's a, it's a massively difficult subject to, to deal with, especially in a show like this. You know, it's, it's obviously a drama. It's not real life, but, um, these things that they're dealing with in the show and how, how real they, they all are being treated. You know, it's, a, I'm sure a lot of people are identifying with, with what's being, uh, what's being discussed in the show as well. So important to have that there. Uh, really good to, to hear your feedback. <laughs> I love hearing your, your live Steve's as you get, as we get a, a real reaction from you on, on, the, on some of the characters and some of the moments of the episode. Steve, really good. Yeah. Thanks, Steve. Um, for, for the old, Live, Steve. Uh, mm-hmm. Great stuff. Loving it. Again, uh, thanks so much to our fellow survivors for all the feedback, whether mm-hmm. it's from email, Facebook, or by by voice. It really is appreciated. Uh, just a reminder that you can head on over to Facebook at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash TV Podcast Industries. We're on Twitter at TV Pod Industries. And of course, trusted email at feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com and of course we are also over on patreon at patreon.com forward slash tvpodcastindustries and on buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash tvpi where you can support us in any which way you wish to and of course most importantly you can support us by subscribing to the podcast and sharing the podcast because yes as we say sharing the podcast is sharing the love absolutely and if you'd like to leave us a review you can leave a review for us over on apple Podcasts or anywhere you can leave review on podcasts we don't get very many reviews uh, for the podcast but we know you're out there uh, we get such great feedback in from our listeners and uh, and it's really been great talking about a show like this again on, on why the last man uh, we have just finished up our coverage of uh, of what if this week which was the other show we were covering uh, that was a much lighter tone show in comparison to what's going on in why, why the last man we oh have yes three more weeks of why the last man as well without that kind of lighter side 
died. So uh, we hope you're going to stay with us on TV Podcast Industries for the next three episodes. We'll be back with episode eight of Why the Last Man Ready Aim Fire next week. We will. Light, I should use it, doesn't it? No. Like execution squad yeah. uh, somewhere. I think it's going to be go bad for certain people. Uh, but so. yes, thank you so much. Please leave a review. It, it does help us. Please support us anyway, which you can. Tell your mother, tell your granny, tell your sister, tell your auntie, because there's no men left in this world. <laughs> Bye. Yeah, thanks so much, fellow survivors. Remember, keep watching, keep listening, and keep surviving. Bye. Bye. Bye.